Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle the man the fire of your heart. Send forth your spirit that they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. And, um, let's see. Oh. In Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What's that? St. Benedict Joseph Labore asked to pray for you because um, Father Rochelle, who has a, a great background in psychology and has combined psychology and theology, likes to say that Benedict, um, St. Benedict Joseph um, Labore uh, is probably the only saint who became a saint despite the fact that he was psychotic. Now, I'm, I'm somewhat attracted to Benedict Joseph Labre, and I read three or four biographies of him. I can't figure out why he's supposed to be psychotic, but he was unusual. I gave you this two-sheet handout, actually four sheets, material on both sides, both so that you could take a very short test um, to determine only one thing, namely what your primary temperament is. And secondly, there's a lot more information here. Um, turn over the first sheet. Gives you descriptions, good qualities, bad qualities of the different four different temperaments then the predominant emotion and vice then the virtue you need to acquire to counteract your weaknesses depending on your primary um, temperament and then a third sheet with a, another a different thumbnail sketch run down on the four temperaments and then finally on the back a very quick chart on the temperaments and a definition of temperament, its relation to personality, the opposites, and then some sources in case you want to read more about it. Okay? Now, the problem with taking a test is I suspect many of you did not bring a pencil or a pen. Is that right? Um, if you want, you can probably do this by memory. You can take this before we start. You can take this very short temperament test on the front page. There's three parts to it. First part has to do with your emotional reactions because your temperament has mostly to do with how you naturally tend to react emotionally to stimuli. The first part consists of three questions you have to answer. What is the speed of your emotional reaction to stimuli? It's either fast or slow. So you just decide, 1A, you either react quickly or you react slowly to what happens to you from the outside. That is, you, you react either quickly or slowly, emotionally, to what happens to you from the outside. The second part, second question number number one, 
dealing with emotional reactions is, how long-lasting are your emotional reactions? Um, they're either short, which they are for two of the temperaments, or they're more long-lasting, which they are for the other two temperaments. Third, what is the strength of your emotional reaction? It's either, it doesn't make any difference whether you react quickly or slowly. Three out of the four temperaments have either immediately or over a period of time a tendency to react intensely, that is with strength, to, that, that is to react emotionally to stimuli coming from the outside, and only one out of the four temperaments reacts mildly, whether it's either immediately or over a long period of time, this one of, out of the four temperaments just does not get emotionally upset or react very strongly at all. So you can answer each one of those three for yourselves and keep the answer in mind or mark it um, if you have a pencil or a pen. But the question is, did everybody understand what I just said so that you know how to answer those three, those three questions. Okay. Anybody not get one of these? Okay. Oh, you did? You need two more? Okay. So first, how quickly do you react emotionally? Second, how long-lasting are your emotional reactions? Third, how intense, whether it's short and intense or the intensity takes some time to build up, doesn't make any difference, do you react intensely either immediately or, or over a period of time, or are you just one of those people who's emotionally mild uh, day in and day out? Second part, this would be the fourth question, just asks if you are extroverted or introverted. And it indicates what is meant by each of those two. If you are naturally extroverted, it means you are naturally focused on the world around you, your environment, the external world primarily, as opposed to what? As opposed to your internal world, your own ideas, your own feelings. Either you tend to be more wrapped up in yourself, or you tend to be more focused on the things, the people around you. Um, a little more help on this one. Um, do you um, draw energy? Do you positively delight in interacting with people, uh, in interacting with the world around you? Um, or do you take more delight in um, withdrawing from the world around you, being at peace, recollecting yourself, turning within, turning within yourself. Um, either you, you, you derive energy from interacting with people in one way or another, or you need, you need time by yourself in order to, to re reclaim, to regather your energy. 
Um, if you're the first kind of person, you're naturally extroverted. If you're the second, you're naturally introverted. Okay? Any questions so far? Okay. And a word of caution here in, in taking any temperament test, short or long, what you're expected to keep in mind is you're not putting down how you think you ought to be. You're not putting down the way you have deliberately habituated yourself to be. You're putting down how you just naturally tend to react. Okay. So what we're after is how do you how do you naturally tend to respond or to react? Not 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 how you would like to. Not how you have, have habituated yourself to. But how do you just naturally react? The um, third part has to do with the basis for which you make decisions, which also has to do with one of your primary interests in life. The first is either persons and personal relationships are uh, that persons and personal relationships more than ideas and ideals are what you naturally focus on and when you have to make a decision what you keep in mind is how it will affect um, other persons and how it will affect the people to whom you are related either right here and now or in one way or another either persons and personal relationships are always uppermost in your mind and when you have to make a decision it's those persons and personal relationships that you put most emphasis on, or secondly, you're much more inclined to focus on ideas and ideals uh, rather than persons and personal relationships when you have to make a decision. Okay? If you pick the second one, it doesn't mean you're not interested in persons and personal relationships. It just means that you're going to you're going to stick, for example, to um, to an ideal, to what's objectively right, and that. Th who cares how it's going to affect the person with whom you're interacting right now or how it's going to uh, bother other people. So either you stick to ideas and ideals more than persons and personal relationships or the other way around. Okay? Any questions? So just look down at the bottom. See which category you primarily fall into. Choleric, melancholic, phlegmatic, or sanguine. Okay? This is not going to give you primary and secondary temperaments. This is only going to give you your primary temperament. Anybody confused about... The scoring at the bottom. Everybody figure out your primary temperament as, as far as this particular test goes. Anybody confused? Okay. Please turn to the very back of these two sheets.
And you can see from the chart on the temperaments at the very top, the sanguine reacts quickly, strongly, but his or her reactions, emotional reactions, are not long-lasting. Also, it says very briefly, the sanguine is an optimist by nature. The glass is always half full rather than half empty. The sanguine is also an active person rather than a passive person by nature. The sanguine is naturally extroverted, that is, very focused on the environment, the world around him. Sanguine is more focused on persons and personal relationships than on ideas, so that if there's a, a tug of war between the two, the sanguine is going to give more weight to how what he or she is going to decide is going to affect other people and or the people around them, rather than how you're being true to or paying strict attention to some idea or some ideal. And finally, for the sanguine, the sanguine's emotions, the strongest, the strongest emotions, emotional reactions, or the typical emotional reaction of a sanguine has to do with the positive emotions of the concupiscible appetite. Which are those? Anybody? Which are the positive emotions of the concupiscible appetite? Anybody happen to know? It would be love, love. desire, and joy. Okay. So if you focus on those, if you if you naturally incline to focus on or to feel those three emotions, love, desire, and joy, um, and you're always looking on the, the, the bright side, you see where the, the description of your being an optimist would be. You love interacting with people. Um, you so much love interacting with people that you are more focused on how your decisions will affect people than whether or not you're, you're, you're sticking to one idea or ideal or another. Secondly, if you're choleric, your reactions, that is your emotional reactions, are quick. They are strong and as opposed to the sanguine, they tend to be lasting. So you, your emotional reactions are quick, strong, and lasting. <coughs> You are also an active person, as is the sanguine. But where the sanguine tends to be lighthearted, optimistic, the choleric tends to be somewhat ruthless. <laughs> now, Dr. O'Donnell, the natural sanguine, is, is not a choleric. He's a natural sanguine. Um, I'm not going to pick anybody out. Having just said cholerics have a tendency to be ruthless, I'm not going to pick anybody out as an example of, 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 of a choleric. Um, cholerics love to argue. 
Um, they, are, they are very extroverted. They're oriented towards the world around them, towards other people. But they are, as opposed to the sanguine, more focused on ideas and ideals than on persons. They have to make a decision. If it adversely affects you, that's too bad. Choleric is sticking to an idea or to an ideal, or if arguing is going to hurt your feelings, it's too bad for you, honey. Uh, Choleric loves to argue. It's like he's a born debater, born, uh, born for argument. And two, two cholerics can have a great deal can have a, a great deal of fun simply arguing with one another. <laughs> I remember uh, visiting a friend of mine's family in, in Montreal, and the dad was a choleric. And the oldest girl in the family was a choleric. <laughs> Those two could sit at the table and just argue get emotionally intense, start shouting at one another, and it would distress some of the other people in the family, but they were having a good time. <laughs> this, is, this is hard for most of us to understand unless you're, unless you're choleric. The emotions that tend to predominate in the person who's a choleric are the emotions of the irascible appetite especially the positive emotions of the irascible appetite. Anybody know what the positive emotions of the irascible appetite are? Hope. 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 Anger. Anger. And courage. No, not that. Despair and fear would be negative emotions of the irascible appetite. More positive ones, though, would be hope and courage, and then anger can go with either set, but hope, um, hope, courage, um, fortitude, daring, energy, it gets described in different ways, and then also anger um, are very characteristic of the choleric. So, just as the sanguine tends to be your happy-go-lucky person, um, and, and has to be persuaded to be more serious sometimes about things um, because the, the sanguine doesn't, doesn't like looking at the negative side of life, doesn't like too much dealing with, uh, with, 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 with problems. Um, so the, 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 the choleric um, has, has a hard time dealing with anger. It tends to be... Um, very strong, very capable, very proud of himself. He's courageous, got lots of energy, um, and has has a problem um, with anger because if he's always ready to confront problems and overcome problems, the thing that you do when you come into contact with some evil, something that's a problem, something that's difficult, is it's natural to get angry at it. And this is the strong point of the choleric. Uh, so he has, to, he has to learn how to control his anger and his pride, since he's got so much strength, so much energy, always willing, ready to confront problems. He's got, he's got to deal with his pride and with his anger.
The third temperament is the melancholic. I'm a melancholic. It's not primarily melancholic. Melancholic's emotional reactions are a bit slow, just as are those of the phlegmatic. But with repetition over a period of time, the emotional reactions of the melancholic, even though they begin slow, they build up, they intensify, and then they don't go away. It is like the choleric, they are lasting. So the emotional reactions in the melancholic and in the choleric are lasting, but in the choleric they arise very quickly and strongly in the melancholic, they're slow. They build up over, only over a period of time, but they increase in intensity. So these first three temperaments, sanguine, choleric, and melancholic, um, can have very intense emotional reactions. It's just that the first two have very quick, intense emotional reactions. And it takes time for the emotional reactions in the melancholic to build up to the intense level. The melancholic tends to be introverted as opposed to extroverted. That is, melancholic is very much at peace, turning within himself, reflecting, spending time with his own ideas or with his own thoughts and emotions. He finds it very easy to spend time by himself. He's somewhat drained with constant interactions with other people. It is, you take a melancholic, someone who's strongly melancholic to a party, what's he going to do? He's going to look for a quiet corner somewhere where he can sit down or maybe, you know, one person to talk to. Um, let's not get, you know, let's not put too much stress on, 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 on this poor person because he's much more at ease. He's much more at, at ease by himself. He, like the choleric, is more focused on ideas and ideals than on persons. Melancholics make, tend to make great um, um, thinkers, philosophers, artists. Um, they're very concerned with ideas and ideals. They're passionately in love with justice. Um, they get very disturbed at injustice, extremely disturbed at, at, at the slightest injustices perceived injustices um, and, and can make life difficult for other people because of it. Um, the negative emotions of the concupiscible appetite tend to show up more strongly in the melancholic. What are the negative emotions of the concupiscible appetite? No, that's the irascible. If, if love is the positive emotion in the, of the concupiscible appetite, then hate or dislike for things would be a, a strong emotion in the melancholic. Then um, if desire is a positive emotion of the concupiscible appetite, then aversion, an inclination to turn away from what is perceived to be bad, negative, evil, would be particularly strong and melancholic. It, uh, and, and, and finally, as opposed to joy, 
the melancholic has a strong tendency to be sad, which is where he gets his name from. Melancholy is sadness. So why? Where is this sadness? Where is this melancholy? Where is it coming from? Well, it's partly coming from the fact that the melancholic is very much in love with great ideas and ideals and always finds the actual material world sadly lacking. It's like the melancholic has a very strong desire for heaven and nothing here is going to satisfy him. So he's always looking on the negative side of things. There's always plenty to dislike. There's always plenty to turn away from. There's always plenty to be sad about because it's like this is a veil of tears. You might as well tough it out. Okay. Um, this means that the melancholic has to learn to look on the bright side of things to counteract this tendency towards sadness. Finally, the phlegmatic, whom many people who write on the temperaments give short shrift to, uh, except for the Bennets, since Mr. Bennett and <laughs> Art and Lorraine Bennett have written two books on the temperaments. The first one, The Temperament God Gave You. The second one, The Temperament God Gave Your Spouse. They're listed at the bottom of that, that back page. Since Art Bennett is primarily a phlegmatic, he was... He decided he, he would look at the good side of phlegmatics. And so in his test, and it's, about, it's the only test that I know of that pays serious attention to phlegmatics, in his test, the phlegmatic gets his due. Um, whereas in one, one little book I looked at on the, um, on the temperaments, phlegmatics weren't even mentioned. Like they didn't exist. And in Father Hawke's book from the 1930s, um, where he gives a good deal of space to going over the sanguine, the choleric, and the melancholic, he's got plenty to say about them. When he gets to the phlegmatic, it's like he can barely get to, to a page and a half. Uh, and, and as far as questions that would pin you down as being phlegmatic, he's got the fewest number of, of questions of all. But the phlegmatic... Phlegmatic's reactions, emotional reactions, like the melancholics, are slow. He doesn't react very quickly at all. But unlike the melancholic, whose reactions build in intensity over time, the phlegmatic's reactions remain weak. That is, if you can get an emotional rise out of a phlegmatic, it tends to die away pretty quickly. It's never very strong and it tends to fade fairly quickly. So as emotional reactions are slow, they're weak, they're not lasting. Whereas the melancholic is a passive and pessimist type of person, the phlegmatic is a passive but very placid type of person. Like the melancholic, the phlegmatic is more introverted. Um, He can't take constant interaction with other people. Um, he He is very much focused on peace, harmony, 
and tranquility and constant human interaction always disturbs your peace and your harmony and your tranquility. So it's as if the phlegmatic is somewhat turned in on himself. Um, But as opposed to the melancholic, the phlegmatic is much more interested in and focused on persons and personal relationships than he is on ideas and ideals. It's as if his primary his primary thought is peace and harmony and quiet. And let's take it easy. Um, so he's very concerned about how his actions or his decisions are going to affect, especially adversely affect other people. He's very concerned about that. And the phlegmatic will put up with a lot of pain and suffering um, in order to have peace and, and in order to have harmony. So he's very interested in peace and harmony. As far as the emotions that tend to stand out in the phlegmatic, what's, what's very characteristic about him is no emotions tend to stare, stand out um, with respect to the phlegmatic. He is as unemotional compared to other people um, as you can get. So he le- leads a very emotionally placid life. Okay. Now, any questions? So far. Yes? When you say lasting, what do you mean by lasting? I mean, is it like a melancholy, you know, so strong? No, the the elephant never forgets. The elephant never forgets. The choleric and the melancholic never forget. That you did something? Yes. Yes. I mean, you upset. (laughs) (laughs) You have a dose of choleric in you. and the choleric have to work at learning how to forgive people. Um, uh, Precisely because the natural tendency is to hold on to uh, what has has adversely affected you. Uh, Whereas the choleric will let you know right off the bat um, what has has adversely affected him or how you've hurt hurt him. The melancholic tends to brood and sulk. <laughs> he keeps it in, but he'll get you sooner. <laughs> okay. But the phlegmatic, he's after peace and harmony. He's not going to brood. He's not going to sulk. He's just a very easygoing person to get away with, which is why Dr. Deviatri tends to characterize phlegmatics as boring. <laughs> But Mr. Bennett would say, wait a minute. Your phlegmatics are the ones who are keeping people together. They're, keeping, they're aiming at peace and harmony. Um, they, they, make great, they make great husbands and wives. They're very, they're very easy in, 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 at dealing with ups and downs of, of children. The only problem that the, the, the main problem that the phlegmatic is going to run into in dealing with children is if he's got one or two choleric kids to deal with who are getting into trouble, reacting with emotional intensity, and always giving the phlegmatic who wants peace and harmony a bit of a hard time. Okay. Let's look at the definition of a temperament on that back page. 
This comes right after that chart on the temperaments. Just on the, on the back, right under the chart, definition of temperament, first thing there. The pattern of inclinations and reactions that proceed from the physiological constitution of the individual. This comes from Father Jordan Allman's work on spiritual theology. The pattern of inclinations and reactions that proceed from the physiological constitution of the individual. Namely, it's your inherited bodily constitution. It's your inherited bodily constitution. It's genetic. Your inherited bodily constitution naturally inclines you to react emotionally in one of these four different ways. Okay? Everybody understand that? Yes? Um, Mr. Bennett says that's the way you're hardwired. That's the way your body, because of the way your body's set up, that's how you're going to react. Yeah, so that you, you, you can't do anything about it as a simple fact. fact. What's your response to people, though, I've talked to a lot of friends about the temperaments, and they say, you know, like, well, you're just putting someone in a box by saying, like, oh, you do that because you're melancholic, or you're not reacting because you're so phlegmatic. You know, like, what? Because you have to take into account, you know. That's why I put two things, one right after another here. First, what, strictly speaking, is temperament Secondly, is how does it relate to the whole notion of personality? Okay? Your, your temperament is just your God-given bodily disposition to emotionally react one way or another. You can't do anything about it except capitalize on your strengths and counteract your weaknesses. Each temperament has natural strengths. Each temperament has natural weaknesses. So you make the most of your natural temperamental strengths and you form habits to counteract your natural temperamental weaknesses. So your temperament is the basis for the personality which you then go on to complete or perfect Certainly, your temperaments have, have to do with your personality. It's, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's like your, your God-given inclinations to react in a certain way, and right from the very beginning, you can see temperaments very, very strongly, very evidently in little kids. You can see that the, the, the temperaments temperament standing out, because they haven't had any time to form any habits that would alter those natural inclinations to emotionally react in one way or another. But once you become aware of your weaknesses, your temperamental weaknesses, it's up to you to do something about it. And so you form habits counteracting your natural temperamental weaknesses. And then nobody can put you in a box. Nobody can put you in a box because you can perfect yourself as much as you want. If, if you have an inclination to be... Um, um, a social butterfly. Uh, this is how the, the, the sanguine tends to be characterized. An, in, an inconstant, um, always changing, 
fluctuating um, uh, uh, social butterfly who's, who lives only in the present and changes with every passing moment. I mean, it's like this is, a, this is an extreme picture of, of, of a sanguine. Then you, you just form habits whereby you counteract that. That's all. The same thing with the collar. If you've got <coughs> tremendous energy so that you have good reason to be proud because of what you are actually able to do, you, and, and you have a strong inclination to confront um, mistakes, uh, opposition, any difficulty that arises, and, and, and you're proud, and, and you have a tendency to get angry because you're always confronting things that are some way evil, um, you, you've, you've got to learn how to calm down. You're a caller. You've got to, you've got to calm down. You've got to learn not to be always so focused on doing something. It's like the caller, it can't sit still. There's got to be a project we can get involved in. We've got to be able to direct people, gather people together, get them involved in this project, and let's do something. It's like the choleric will give you no rest. Um, he's very interested in directing people. He's very goal-oriented. He's very project-oriented. And he's not interested in taking a rest. He's not interested in just slowing down and smelling the daisies or having a good time. So the, the choleric has got to learn to slow down because we weren't made to be constantly active, always doing something, always um, always fig- figuring out what, what to do next. We're, if we're made for the beatific vision, and we can even begin that in this life, then the choleric, who's only focused on means to an end, who's constantly focused on means to an end, has got to learn to slow down and just enjoy life somewhat. Okay? And he's got, he's got to learn that other people are not as naturally strong, goal-oriented, confrontative, um, courageous as he is. And he's, he's got to respect other people rather than following his tendency to despise other people. Because okay? the choleric does have a tendency to despise other people. Why? They're all weaker than he is. Yeah, this is great. Someone says you're male or female? No. Sure, you've been labeled. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's no way around it. <laughs> Have you been put in a box? Someone says, oh, you're, you're, you're a man or a woman. Well, of course you've been put in a box. You know the way God made you. you try to get out of it. It's kind of difficult. So the, the four temperaments are just part of how we've been made. But it it doesn't mean that that's all there is to you. Because by what you learn and by the habits that you deliberately form, you can counteract the weaknesses of your natural temperamental, of 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 your natural temperament 
and become as perfect as possible. So the goal, it would seem, the goal would seem to be wind up being more or less equally each one of the four temperaments as far as possible because what you're trying to do is to gain all of the strengths of those four different temperaments. You've been given some because of your natural temperament. Your goal in life then would be to pick up all of the strengths of the three other temperaments that are not naturally yours, or as happens in most cases, each of us tends to be two, predominantly two temperaments, rather than just one. And so you, you capitalize on the strengths of your two natural temperaments, and you pick up the strengths of the two temperaments that are not yours. And as you do this, by the, by the habits that you form. And so that's why some people say, um, you know, what was Christ? He was probably a blend of, an equal blend of all four temperaments. Does that mean he started out that way by nature? Well, uh, I don't know. Um, but if he did start out that way by nature, he certainly would have known that, that perfection with respect to those bodily temperaments is having the best qualities of all four. Okay? And, and this is something everybody can work at. So that if you do that, nobody can put you in a box. They can say, oh, your natural temperament is such and such. Y yeah, so what? So what? All that refers to is the natural strengths and weaknesses God gave me to work with. Okay? Any? So, relation to personality, under the, that little heading, relation to personality, what does your temperament have to do with your personality? Your temperament is just the material inherited basis of your personality. Hence, it's something you are able to alter and perfect by the habits you freely choose to adopt. Okay? Does this make sense? Any, any questions? Any? Yes? Well, they're they're both physical and they're both physical and psychological. I mean, if they're uh, if 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 your if they're physiological, as a lot of people seem to think that they are, if they're, if they're physiological, it's primarily the bodily side of you. But since you are a natural union of body and soul. Um, just like your senses don't function except through a union of a power of the soul with a part of the body that's designed to go with that power of the soul, so these temperaments, which maybe which which are bodily in origin, they're naturally going to affect uh, your, your your emotional reactions because your your appetites, that is your concupiscible and your irascible appetite, they're bodily based. Just like you know, your external senses, your internal senses, they need some part of the body to be united to in order to function. Your appetites, your concupiscible and your irascible appetites, or the emotions of those appetites, they're root, um, the appetites themselves are rooted in the body, and then depending on the disposition of the body, in this case, the physiological constitution of the body, um, those appetites already have an inclination 
can respond to stimuli one way rather than another. So, yes, they're physical, but because they're physical and because they belong or they affect that part of the body in which the, 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 the two appetites, the concupiscible and the rascal appetites, are located, they're also automatically psychological. Okay? Does that, does that make sense? Your senses and your sense appetites are, are, are physically based and they are part of your, your psyche, your, 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 your psychology, and, and they, affect, they affect how you, how you react. Okay? Yeah. Is there any genetic basis for temperaments? Oh, like you say, like, oh, I'm mostly non-comic, and that comes from, like, you were in the same day, like, that comes from my mother, or is my tolerance side, it comes from my dad, or because it's... Well, uh, some people think it, it, it very clearly is genetically based, and if you had... Um, two persons who were both very strongly of a given temperament. Um, their children were more likely to turn out that way than any other, but uh, I, I don't know how true that is because every time, um, I suspect there's some truth to it, but every time, every time a child is born, a child is a mixture of, of, of genes coming from the two parents, and you have to remember that the genes coming from the two parents not only reflect the genes that are manifest in those parents, but the genes whose expressions are hidden or are latent in those two parents. So this is why something can get passed from grandfather or grandmother to grandchild and seemingly just skip the parents. So you've got, you've got genes that may have been manifest and obvious in the grandparents. They're hidden beneath the surface in the parents. They come out again in the grandchildren. You can never tell. You can never tell what kind of, 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 of temperamental disposition I think you're, you're, you're going to get in your children. And now, if for generations, you know, you've almost all been predominantly sanguine, you can bet it's pretty likely that your children are going to be that way. And this is the reason why um, people talk about um, um, uh, the temperaments that tend to be peculiar to different countries. Like the Italians are thought of as having you know, a tendency to have a certain temperament or mix of temperaments. The Germans, another mix of temperaments. Because there's such a thing as a gene pool. A gene pool is just you know, a, a, an exclusive collection of genes, and if those genes are going to determine your, your temperament, um, then if, if, if the Germans tend to have one kind of, you know, relatively restricted gene pool, and they just keep passing it on down through the line, then they're, they're going to have a similar temperament. Almost all the people are going to have a, a, a tendency to manifest cert, certain temperaments rather than others. Um, so you get people of one country being temperamentally different from people of another country as long as they, 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 they simply keep intermarrying. Okay? Any other questions? Sarah?
I suspect very little, but I'm not sure about that. This is something um, people, people disagree about. But if Jordan Alman is inclined to think, and I think a lot of people who write about the temperaments are inclined to think that whatever temperament you have in the womb and at birth is what you're stuck with for the rest of your life. It's, it, it doesn't determine the personality you wind up with because through your freely adopted habits, you can mold how you tend to react, how you, how you can, tend to interact with people. But um, I think most people write on the temperaments seem to act as if you're, 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 your temperament is fixed for life. Now, um, uh, Father, um, Father Ripperger seems to think that your temperament is much more changeable. Just, um, I guess he says, you know, the, the body and soul are made for one another, which everybody agrees with. People are right about this. Body and soul are made for one, one another, so that if through your habits you begin picking up uh, or forming um, uh, uh, different ways of reacting other than what you started off with temp- temperamentally, it, he seems to think the body's just going to change just like that to go along with it. Um, and I'm, I'm disinclined to think that he's, that he's right there. Um, can you calm, can, can you alter you know, your bodily disposition over a period of time? Sure, but I don't think you're ever going to get rid of that, that underlying natural inclination just to react in a certain way. Just going to so acquire habits, inclining you in another direction, that it, it, you know your natural disposition might be perfectly hidden from other people. And and they they, they say that Saint Ignatius of Loyola did this, and the other other saints have have done this. So Saint Ignatius of Loyola was strongly choleric, and he wound up just seeming as mild as a phlegmatic, like you. But, you know, I, I guess if you knew him, if you knew him over a longer period of time, or you ever, you know, provoked him, succeeded in provoking him, provoking him, you might see that fieriness in him. But, but for the most part, he just succeeded in making making himself a very placid, calm, mild individual. Um, but yeah, for a child, the environment would make his natural dispositions either worse or better. He's in a family with, he's a melancholic and he's in a family of, of, uh, of uh, cholerics and uh, he'll, he'll become more and more uh, uh, retreating from the world. He doesn't like all this argument, all this, all this fighting. Whereas the family, if they were melancholics, they would help him to develop his, his, uh, his strengths. The environment does affect them when they're little more, but when they grow up, they can realize their wealth and their problems and change it. So uh, uh, let me switch for a minute to our inclination to interact with other people on the basis of our own temperaments. What seems normal to every one of us is the way we are. That is the way you are as an individual human being. So, for example, little girls always think little boys are strange. 
because they don't act like little girls. And little boys think that little girls are strange because they don't act like little boys. In the same way, every temperament, every person with a predominant temperament seems to think that that's the norm. That's the normal way to be. It's, I mean, isn't it natural? So, so let's, say, <coughs> let's say you grew up um, hearing voices. Uh, you might assume everybody hears voices. That's, that, that, that's just what seems normal to you. So what we have to keep in mind is each one of us takes um, his or her own natural state as if it were the norm, and we, we, we constantly have to try to put ourselves in other people's places in order to counteract that. One good thing about becoming more aware of the temperaments is you can, you can counteract your tendency to be extremely prejudiced in favor of your own temperament. And you think that my temperament is the way to be. And if only everybody were like me, the world would be a much better place. Well, there's got to be a good reason why God gave people one of four different temperaments. Um, it's like each of them has a strength. Each of them has a natural strength. And we just have to learn to be sympathetic, bear with one another, put up with the, the differences uh, that exist between us so that uh, the world will be a better place for each one of us. Yes? It seems to me like um, the world today like, over-emphasizes and over-appreciates, like, say, like, uh, like, especially the business world, like, standing on call and they seem to, like, uh, shut down their own call. Does that seem like that to you? Well, in any, I think in any area of human life, um, people of a certain temperament are going to be more drawn to that kind of life. And this is manifest with the cholerics. Cholerics are very industrious, capable, organized leaders. Um, they're going to tend to gravitate towards certain fields, certain areas of life. And, of course, as a group, then they are going to look favorably on themselves and tend to disparage other ways of acting. Um, now, if a country like the United States is very pragmatically oriented, we're, we're going to have a, we're going to have a, a predisposition <coughs> towards cholerics who are very efficient, very practical, very good at getting things done. We're going to value them. We put a great value on successful businessmen, at least we have you know, for a fairly long time, or you know, very capable administrators. They're very good at getting things done. Um, whereas at, at other times and at other places, they might put more emphasis on the melancholic, if the melancholic is more of the artistic and philosophical type. So if you're melancholic, you might have had a great time of it in ancient Greece. <laughs> like it was a period and a place where they were in love with beauty and in love with ideas. Weren't that thrilled with cholerics? I, I, I suppose. At least th this, is, this is the idea we get. Whereas if you were a Roman, you would have been much better off as a choleric. And um, um, phlegmatics are always going to get the short end of the stick because 
It's like they're not out in the forefront. They're not, they're not driving things. They're not standing out necessarily as artists or administrators, politicians, but they, they, they certainly make social life a lot easier, uh, as, as, as do sanguines. So, it, yes, I mean, you're right. Different times, different places, and different countries think we're going to value one temperament or one combination of temperaments more than another. <coughs> Sheila. Um, you said that it's I don't, I don't know that it's ever been understood. There's just a, just a strong tendency to say it's physical, it's inherited, genetic, it, 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 it manifests itself through physiology, but exactly how does it work? I don't, I don't know that anyone's ever gotten interested enough in it, especially in the scientific community, to try to figure that out. Yes. Sarah. How did they come up with them? Yeah, I, uh, I think we date them back to um, the great, the great physician um, Hippocrates, Hippocrates or Galen. Anyway, it, 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 it is very old. The notion, and they had their idea about where specifically they were coming from. An excess of bile uh, in the liver would make you choleric. Um, uh, however that works. Uh, but the notion is that it, it, it's physically based. And, and we, we've always noticed temperamental differences between people. Just, it, it's obvious. So. I have another test if anyone is interested in taking it. Matter of fact, you can. Uh, if, if you this has two tests in it. It's two sheets. One test takes up two sides of one sheet. The other test takes up two sides of the other sheet. One test comes from Father Conrad Hawks' 1934 book on the four temperaments. It's a very succinct rundown on the temperaments. The only thing that's you might say missing is it gives short shrift the phlegmatics, but he certainly recognizes them as distinct and sees their, their good qualities. What these two tests will give you, I'm sorry, in the second test um, comes from Art and Lorraine Bennett's first book, The Temperament God Gave You. Um, and the, the key um, is at the end of each test, except that I didn't tell you um, at the end of the first test um, how to how to score it? I just put them in alphabetical order. So, uh, for example, I've got a list of numbers, and what you do is the directions are on it. There's a list list of numbers here, and you circle all the numbers that you happen to answer when you took the test, and then you indicate what what kind of total of that list of numbers you've got. And the first the first list of numbers has to do with the choleric. The second one has to do with the melancholic. The third with the phlegmatic. See how short it is? Uh, this is Father Hawk's test on phlegmatics. Very, very, very few questions there. And the fourth one is the sanguine. So I just put them in alphabetical order. C for choleric, 
M for melancholic, K for phlegmatic, and S for sanguine. Then the second test, um, I, I labeled, I did it the same way. This is a long list of numbers. And um, there's either a C at the end, a P at the end, um, an M, or an S at the end. So if anyone's interested in one of these, you can, uh, you can pick it up on the way out. Because this will give you not only your primary temperament, but also your secondary temperament. It's very helpful to know what kind of blend of temperaments that you've got. And there are, um, as far as temperaments go, there are opposites, extreme opposites, amongst the four temperaments. The melancholic would be opposed, most of all, to the sanguine and the phlegmatic to the choleric. Okay. Um, the Bennets are fond of saying you're not going to find opposite temperaments mixed in the same person. Father Hawk modified that somewhat. Father Hawk seemed to recognize that you certainly do find um, a first people who have the opposite characteristics of the sanguine and the melancholic in them. But there's no problem finding people like that. But he, he doesn't recognize that anyone has the choleric and the phlegmatic mixed in him. So if any of you, and, and the Bennett say they've never run into anyone who's a mixture of, 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 of phlegmatic and choleric. So if any of you take these two tests and you come up, you come up choleric and phlegmatic, uh, do let somebody know. Because uh, you will be an oddity. Uh, yes. We took that test, and uh, what I liked about that particular test was this is the, the second the test, the, 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 the Bennett's. We took the Bennett's test. We did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I liked about it was it was it showed there was a um, that were made up of a composite. So I was yeah. because like I don't know if that was like magnetic at all, but I think it's like pardon for me, it's like that. Well, yeah, you can have a, a, a primary, a secondary, and a tertiary. Yeah. Uh, a, a I mean, what was neat was it was a whole compound. They were, right. were almost like a percentage-wise, if you did percentage-wise, that's what I thought was cool about it. Mm -hmm. that you're 100% all together yourself, with your little percentage of this and that. Right. Right. Okay. It's just kind of neat to any, any other questions? Oh. Um, oh, bad. You were talking about earlier how you don't think really but I would kind of exhibit that I definitely used to be sanguine, like very you know outgoing and optimistic and happy-go-lucky in general, and like I would definitely say that I'm a caller and I don't even ask my sister. Um, so I mean, yeah. I don't. I yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't know. It, it, it seems that for the most part, people a primary or primary and a secondary temperament um, for um, for most, if not all, of their lives, um, and then they layer it over. Yeah. I mean, um, like if you know, perhaps they used to be sanguine with largely secondary tolerance. Uh, if they're almost equal, you know, is it kind of Situations in life are going to make you sort of change the balance a little bit. Like if you are relatively evenly split between two, 
And, and I think it's also possible that, let, let's say you, you begin life with a primary temperament. And because of your environment, um, it's more difficult to manifest that or to act on it. Perhaps it gets discouraged. Perhaps you know you're made afraid by circumstance, one, you know, by one set of circumstances or another to act that way. Um, so it, it, it might be that it would, would get pushed down and only come out later. I don't know. I I, I don't know. It, it's, it's just that you, you do find a difference of opinion on whether or not your natural temperament can, can change over time. <laughs>